had a lot of trouble actually preparing for this sermon this week. We've come to a really important part of the of the book um, of Romans. We've um, finished the last 15 chapters where Paul's been laying out the gospel for us. Paul, Paul finally gets to the purpose of the letter here. The purpose of inviting the Christians in Rome to join his gospel mission to Spain. And look, there was just too much to unpack. Uh, I'm sorry, um, I couldn't do it all justice. Instead, I've decided that we're just going to look at one verse. So verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So today, uh, if I can just explain Paul's ambition and engage our ambition, uh, that's, that's all I'm going for. But first, uh, what comes to mind when I say the word ambition? Business suits, sporting fame, corporate takeover, the Guinness Book of Records. Ambition is for people who are driven. They want to be excellent. They want to be renowned. They won't settle for less. Ambition is the non-native English speaker who, who starts a course in business they're doing that full-time while also having a part-time job on the side to pay the bills. And at the same time they're doing all that, they, they start their own business. They don't wait to graduate. They get the side hustle going. Or it's the, it's the junior doctor who has her eyes set on that senior consultant position. She's not phased at how many years it's going to take to get her to get there. Uh, she just knows that she can outlast whoever is beside her in her perseverance. I've talked to some Christians who've struggled with this idea of ambition. Uh, maybe they're in a competitive workplace, or maybe they've just noticed within themselves an impulse, a desire for more, further, higher. Is that wrong? Should Christians be ambitious? Well, we've just read the verse, haven't we? I think we've given away the answer. Let's have a look. So the Roman church, if, if they're reading this letter that Paul's written, um, they've, they've heard that Paul wants to come visit them, and they must be excited about that. He's never been there before. But only now in chapter 15 do we find that he has some larger plans. So we read in verse 22, I've often been hindered from coming to you, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul's got big dreams here. Not only does he want to go from Jerusalem to Rome, he wants to preach the gospel to the ends of the known world. And at this stage, that is, that is Spain. It's ambitious. And he invites the Romans in to participate in his gospel ambition. It's actually why he writes the letter to them. He wants to gospelize the Romans into mission. So in verse 14, he doesn't write to them because they're ignorant of the true teaching and, or they don't know how to live Christianly. That's not why he's been preaching the gospel. No, in verse 15, it's because of the grace God gave him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. This is the ministry 
that Jesus gave Paul to proclaim the good news of his death and resurrection to the nations. And he'd done it. He's completed the task from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. That's what he says in verse 19. So now, on to Spain. Paul's not settled in the progress he's made so far. He's got ambitions for those people. As according to the quote in verse 21, those who were not told about him, those who have not heard. So at this point, uh, you're, you're probably asking, uh, what's the deal with preaching the gospel to people that don't know? Uh, like what makes, what makes that more desirable for Paul to go to Spain than say uh, planting another church in Corinth or Philippi? Or better yet, going and helping those churches grow? That is an important question. And you can see the way it relates to us, right? I mean, what are we doing here in Jermoyne? And there are six other churches within walking distance. Uh, let me just say two quick things in answer to this question and then one main answer. The first two things are that it's to do with Paul's calling and his missiology. So firstly, Paul has a unique calling. A unique calling from God to be an apostle, um, uh, his representative to the Gentiles. That's the express task that Jesus gave to Paul. And that's, that's not the same for us. As an apostle, he's, he's unique. Phew. <laughs> no. Secondly, uh, Paul's missiology, how he approaches the mission of declaring the gospel, well, he relies on the churches to carry on the work. So he makes that statement. Did you catch that in verse 19? I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. How is that possible? Uh, did he have a deep and meaningful chat with every person in every town? No, that's, that's not what he means. Paul saw his task as complete when he had established strategic churches in each place who could then feasibly carry on gospel proclamation to all within that territory. So again, that role, that church planting role, that's not something that every Christian does like Paul. You know, once the church was on its own feet, he was off again. But every Christian is part of a church that should seriously take seriously the responsibility they have to share Jesus with their entire community. And we want to take that seriously here at GTC as well. Uh, we do things like run Christianity Explored courses, and we're going to run one again next term. And, and just by the by, I would love to hear from you if you're interested in coming and being part of that, helping people to meet Jesus. That was the two quick things. This is the main answer to the question of what is so essential about evangelizing unreached people groups, people who aren't within reach of a gospel church. It's about worship. That language, the obedience to the Gentiles in verse 18, that is worship language. 
It's about the nations having a comprehensive response to God in thoughts, in love, and action. Worship language comes up again in verse 16 when Paul describes his ministry as a priestly duty. So Paul goes out proclaiming the gospel to the nations, but the net effect is that people are brought in to God. Their lives are offered to God. I mean, it's like the worship imagery that we saw in chapter 12, you know, living sacrifices. You see, God is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all worship. I think Pastor John Piper puts it well when he says that mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So he's saying that the purpose of mission is to tell the nations the good news of Jesus so that, so that they would worship the Lord in spirit and truth. The end goal of gospel pro- proclamation is the increase of God's glory as lives are turned around into worshipping beings. Mission exists because worship doesn't. One day we will see the reality that Revelation describes, the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. In the presence of God, singing his praises for all eternity, the time will come when Jesus returns at the consummation of all things, when mission will have achieved its purpose And all of life will be swallowed up in rapturous praise to our wonderful King. Now, isn't that a glorious vision? That is a cause worth living for. And so Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. Did you see what he means by ambition? He's not ambitious for himself but for God's glory. It's not good enough that those people don't know the name of Jesus. They can't call on him. They don't know how to. It's not good enough for their sakes. And for God's sake, it is just not how things should be. So Christianity has an essential impulse to want to go out into new fields, to make new inroads, to to push the frontier of the kingdom of God further into the reaches of the globe. That's what Christianity is like. So I've got a a new slogan for us Christians, and uh, the musicians can make a jingle of it, we can put it on the radio. The slogan is this, the glory of God in the gospel of grace compels us to go to every last place. The glory of God in the gospel of grace compels us to go to every last place. But time out. Uh, This is all well and good in theory, but, you know, like we can accept the idea that God deserves all praise and that he wants to use us to bring forth that praise around the world. Fine. 
have we really caught this vision? Or rather, has, has this vision really captured us? Brothers and sisters, open your heart. What do you see inside? What is your ambition? Where do you see yourselves in five years? What do you, what do you hope to achieve? It might be that our ambitions are for ourselves and not for God's glory. And if so, we need to reorient ourselves. But my guess is that for many of us, we are simply not ambitious enough. We love God. We, we want to live his way. But we've grown complacent. We don't expect big things from God. Our neighbours and our co-workers uh, and two-thirds of the population of the earth are living in rejection of the God who is Lord of all and we have accepted this too easily. Do I believe that God will establish his honour on the earth? Or do I think so little of God that hey, he couldn't use me to save my neighbour, Olga, or, or Jono, my mate from high school, or Kwang, who we met in a city in Southeast Asia. Lord, please raise our ambitions that we will trust you for greater things than we have seen so far that indeed your kingdom would come and your will would be done, your name hallowed by all people. Well, we know what we need, don't we? The glory of God in the gospel of grace compels us to go to every last place. It's the gospel of Jesus that puts before us the majesty and, and the mercy of God. It's the gospel of grace that reforms our image of what life is all about or, or who life is all about. Do you know what you could do this week to help your heart long for God's glory? You could change the course of your life if you do this. Read Romans again. This great account of the gospel. Read through Romans. And pray that the Holy Spirit would show you the wonder and the worth of Christ. Look again. Look again at the story of God, who, who did not need us, but at the overflow of his love came down to us. His enemies, he took our hate and condemnation upon himself so that by the power of his resurrection, he could raise us up to new humanity in Jesus brought us into God's family, changed us from the inside out. As you read this letter, look at God's character. Uh, you might find it helpful to read one section at a time, a chapter or two, and, and write down uh, three points, 
three points of praise. Ah, thank you. I'm thankful that God did this. Or, Lord, you are so patient, powerful. All you do is listen. Listen out for the response that God's Spirit is calling you to. God has given himself to us so that we would give ourselves to him. So don't be surprised if you end up uh, finding that you want to change the way that you talk to a certain someone or perhaps give something up uh, if, if these things are not honouring to your Lord. Don't be surprised. Expect to be humble. Expect for God to stake a claim on an area of your life that you have yet to yield. Your plans, your children. So I suggest doing this exercise uh, by yourself initially, but come together with someone else that you trust. Uh, Home groups are a wonderful place to have this conversation. You can talk, discuss what you've found or what you've rediscovered about who God is and how you want to live for him. Talk, talk it through. Pray together that, that you would carry out those good intentions God's placed in your heart. And, and then in a month's time, check in on each other, see how you're going, and, and remind one another of God's grace. So that's, that's gospel ambition. Paul's vision of the glory of of God drove him to go further with the gospel. And no matter who we are, we all need that gospel ambition. It's about worshipping God, not ourselves. But not all of us will do the same thing with that ambition. We're, We're not all Paul. Not all of us can go spend our lives in frontier evangelism, although more of us should. But if we can't go, if we can't serve in a place where there are no churches, well, what do we do? Uh, Here's where, if I was better prepared, I would love to walk you through the second part of this chapter 15, where Paul, he invites his readers into gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. Um, That would be another sermon I would preach. Um, Partnership means that we all have many parts to play in God's global mission. So there are those who go, but there must also be those who send and support them so that they can do that work. So if if Paul's the tip of a spear, the tip that comes into contact with the target, and and the target being a part of a lost person, well, think about every Christian and, and every church that makes up the shaft of the spear, that supports the tip getting to that point. Without that shaft, the tip is useless. So, for example, what could that look like? Well, these are just some people that I know. uh, An accountant in Burkina Faso. A nurse in Kosovo. Uh, I know someone who lives in Newcastle, but their job is to raise funds for Compassion Australia. So a simple question might just be, are you leveraging the gifts that God has given you to impact the world for the gospel? 
leveraging the gifts God's given you to impact the world for the gospel. Your education, your skills, your time, your money. Could you harness more of that to, to go towards seeing lost people found in Jesus? Remember, God is worthy of all worship. This could be your worship. That you would offer your career path to God and then go volunteer for Australian Presbyterian World Missions. That would be a beautiful thing. But even that might not be possible. Again, there's the heart's desire, but the actions can look so different. But God is so gracious to us. Um, Have a look at verse 30. This is Paul's partnership appeal. He urges them, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by... to God for me. Prayer. The best way to partner in world mission, the most effective way to have an impact on the world for God is through prayer. Asking God to do what only he can. And I, I love that. I'm thankful for that because that is something that we can all do. If, if you have a heart for God and, and you don't know what to do with it, Pray. Ask God to do what he's promised and magnify his name through the mission of his people. Now, how might we partner through prayer? I, I would simply defer you to our sister Janet. We are so blessed at DPC that we have Janet who takes seriously the mission, the ministry of helping us to pray. Uh, There are prayer nights, uh, there are prompts in the handout for praying, uh, even email reminders to know what to pray for. Honestly, if we would all just listen to Janet and pray accordingly, oh my goodness, the world could not stop us. 